Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me this morning over to 1 Timothy and turn to the 6th chapter. And I want to, uh, it's my intention at least to, to conclude this portion of what I've been teaching on balanced, godly prosperity. Godly, balanced prosperity. And then after today, we want to turn our attention, still talking about prosperity, but turn more to the promise side. We've only mentioned the promises so far, but we've been focusing uh, mostly on the dangers that are associated with riches, the dangers that are associated with uh, 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 allowing the blessings of God to become more important in your life than the giver of the blessings. So that's been our topic the last several weeks. Remember, Jesus said that, that uh, the, those among the thorns in the parable of the sower were those who received the word and the, and the word took root and began to bear fruit in their lives. And then he said, among other things, the deceitfulness of riches entered in. Well, uh, the, the reason the deceitfulness of riches enter in at that stage is because those people were acting on the word and they were beginning to prosper, but not guarding themselves after receiving riches from the word of God. In other words, uh, financial blessing, material blessing as a result of putting the word into, into practice in their life. They began to experience the return uh, on their faith and some of those things, but then not guarding their hearts. They were deceived by those riches. So we've been talking about the dangers of those things and I wanna conclude this uh, hopefully today. I want you to read with me over in the sixth chapter of First Timothy. <clears throat> in verse number nine, it says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in, per, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now we pointed out that on the one hand, God promises us prosperity he promises, just like the verse of scripture that Pastor Greg read this morning it, in the Old Covenant, and it's the same in the New Covenant, it is God who gives us the power to get wealth. He promises, in fact, in this, in this very chapter, if you go down to the uh, 17th verse, it said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God blesses us. It's his intention that we be rich, that we be prosperous. But then how can he turn around and say, those who want to prosper are gonna fall into a snare. Those who wanna be rich, you could say it like this. He's, you could interpret this as say, those who want the blessings of God that he's promised to give fall into a, a, a temptation and a snare. Well, how can that be? Well, he goes on to describe what he's talking about. Those who desire to be rich, notice verse 10, for the love of money, for the sake of the money, for love of money. They desire to be rich because they love money and, and uh, 
they have strayed from the faith in their greediness. So when it's associated with greediness, and we talked about that last week, last, the, the topic that I introduced last week is how can you tell if you've been deceived by riches? How can you tell if you're in the grip of the love of money? Well, one thing we pointed out last week is that you're not satisfied with the blessings you have. There's a greediness about you. There's, a, there's a, uh, an anxiety on the inside. You just want more and more and more and more, and you're never satisfied with the blessings you have. You know, it's one thing to reach for more in God, but not reach out of, a, of, of an anxiety because you're just lusting for more, simply because you want more of God's blessings. But at the same time, you're very happy, very content with life because God has blessed you and you're appreciative. That's a different thing altogether. Greediness, when people are greedy, they're never satisfied. And so going back to number, verse number nine, those who desire to be rich, verse number 10, for the love of money's sake, those are the ones who fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. But there's another motive for desiring to be rich. Those who desire to be rich in order to be a blessing. Those who desire to be rich because God has promised you riches so that you can in turn receive that and be a channel through whom God can, can, can fund riches to other people, now your motive is completely different. Those kinds of people will not fall into temptation and snare. I said people who love and who have a desire to be rich in order to be a blessing will never fall into temptation and snare in these things because their heart is right from the get-go. It all depends on where a person's heart is, amen? Glory to God. So last week we talked about uh, how can you tell if you've been deceived by riches or, or what are the characteristics of the love of money? Number one, we pointed out you're anxious Always anxious for more than you need. You're never satisfied. The Bible talks about, even in this chapter, in the previous verses, let's start in verse number five, 1 Timothy 6, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they're not interested in God for God's sake. They're not interested in God for holiness sake. They're not interested in the things of God in order to please God. They're interested in the things of God as a means of making money. It's not a good motive. He said, from such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We found out that in our popular usage, the word contentment usually has the idea of just being satisfied with what you have. You're just content. And there's no, in the word contentment as it's used today in modern English, the word contentment doesn't have any reach in it. The way we use the word content, we're not reaching for anything. We're just, hey, everything's cool. I've got all I need. I don't want anything else. That's not what the, the Greek word that's translated contentment mean, means. The Greek word that's translated contentment means to, to be independent of the circumstances. You're not letting the circumstances dictate what you think, how you feel, how you act. You're living above it. That's what the, the, the word that's translated contentment means that you're living above what's going on around you. 
So, and so the, the apostle Paul said he had learned the secret of contentment. He had learned the secret of having plenty and having, and, and having uh, far less than enough. He said in, in, in either situation, whether I have plenty or I'm suffering lack, I've learned to be content, to be independent of the circumstances. Well, how can you do that? The only way you can do it is by faith. The only way you can do it is have your trust in God. See, if your trust is in God and you lose your job, you don't lose your mind. If you're trusting in God and you lose your job, you don't go crazy and fall apart. If your trust is in God and you have some kind of a financial reversal, you don't start wringing your hands and crying and and trying to... to, uh, 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 figure out, you know, what you're going to do because you know, you know that God's always taking care of you. He's fed and clothed you and provided for you up to this point and he'll continue to do it. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. By the same token, if your trust is in God, whenever you have a rich, uh, uh, bountiful uh, uh, supply come into your life and you have this great, uh, 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 you know, uh, sufficiency or prosperity come to you, you're not moved by that either. You're not suddenly, ooh, I have it made now. Ooh, look what I've got. Remember the man Jesus talked about? He had all of these things built up and he had his barns filled. He had a bumper crop. He'd had the greatest crop he'd ever had. So he said, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down my barns and build bigger barns and bigger uh, supply houses. And then he said, I'm just gonna take my ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I have everything laid up for years to come. Jesus said, you're a fool. You're gonna die tonight. And then who is gonna have all of your goodies? that right? So the person whose trust is in God is not moved when prosperity comes. He doesn't change at all. There's no change in him. I've seen it too many times. Prosperity comes into people's lives and it changes them. And and that's what we'll get into next this morning. Those riches then become the source of their identity. Their prosperity becomes their identity and now they begin to, uh, their life begins to revolve instead of around the things of God, it begins to revolve around that prosperity. So we're gonna look at that this morning. So what is the, the second way, and I only have two in, in my uh, notes here, two characteristics of the love of money. One is the greediness, the anxiety for more and more and more. Number two, characteristic of the love of money This is how you can tell if you're in its grip. And that is seeking or maintaining your prosperity, you begin to compromise your spiritual disciplines. In seeking or maintaining your prosperity, you begin to compromise your spiritual disciplines. In other words, what are, what are your spiritual disciplines? Well, the spiritual disciplines that we have throughout the word of God is prayer, your, your Bible time, your Bible uh, reading, your Bible meditation, your devotion time in the word of God, those are spiritual disciplines that we're supposed to have in our lives. Church attendance, uh, not, just, not just attendance, but being involved. I'm not talking about just coming to church once in a while. I'm talking about church is, the local church is God's plan for caring for the flock of God. The local church is Jesus's provision for his body. And he intends for it to be for it to be the highlight and the center place of our social life. Thank you for your enthusiasm, all seven of you. 
God intends that the local church be the focal point of the, of the Christian social life and, and the things that they, they, they build their week around. Amen. Involvement in the ministry of helps. Seeking or maintaining your prosperity begins to compromise your church attendance and it begins to compromise your involvement in the ministry of helps. Begins to compromise your giving. Begins to compromise your witness in the community because of of shady dealings. People no longer trust you. What has happened? See, I have seen this so many times where, where someone, uh, there, I'll just paint a, a picture for you, a scenario. Here's someone that loves God. They're just so, they're just so thrilled with Jesus and just so thrilled with, with redemption and what he's provided for them. And they're going for it. They're using their faith, you know, for their bodies and for their finances and their marriage and, 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 you know, just everything that comes into to life. Any place there's a promise of God, they're acting on it, believing God for favor. And they use their faith for their, for prosperity, according to the word of God. If you put your faith out for prosperity, God will respond because it's his will. If your motives are right, I've seen so many times that people start out, their motives are right, and God blesses them, but then they begin to drift in their affections. Those blessings and the the blessing and the maintaining of that blessing, keeping it up, keeping it coming, suddenly, or, or maybe not so suddenly, but over a period of time, don't have as much time for prayer as they used to. Don't have as much time for the, for the study of the word of God as they used to. Letting it slide, not just one morning, but now days and days and days go by and you're just so busy with your prosperity. Your, your blessings have, have taken such a place in your life that you've got to attend to it. You just have to attend to it. The pressure is there. Listen, you gotta, you gotta get up early and you gotta get after it because you've got all these contacts today. You've got all these appointments today. You've got all these opportunities today. You've got all these obligations today. And well, I'll get to my Bible reading tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Because you're beginning to serve the monster. Your prosperity has become the Lord in your life. You don't recognize it. See, people rarely are honest with themselves, let alone with their pastor. In a situation like that, if somebody comes up and says, you don't love the Lord like you used to. Oh, I most certainly do. I love the Lord. Yeah, but you don't meet with him in the mornings anymore. Because something else has taken its place. Oh, I love the Lord. See, we, we will not, if we're not brutally honest with ourselves, if we're not brutally honest, if we don't take self-examination seriously, we'll just say, no, everything's good, everything's good. I know in my heart, in my heart is right, but I just have these other things to do. Begin to serve those things. Before long, when you used to come to church every time the doors were open, now suddenly, 
my business or my contacts or my job or whatever it is that, that is flourishing, you know, I just can't make it this Wednesday night. And see, you know, it's, it's not a matter of law. Anybody can have a situation that arises from time to time. You can't come to church. There's nothing wrong with that. Things come up, sometimes you can't come. And I'm not talking about vacations, you know, we all do that. But I'm talking about, you know, just work or some sort of situation comes in family or something, you can't come. A Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, something comes up. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You haven't erred, you haven't sinned. But when, when your prosperity begins to more and more encroach, and now suddenly you're missing more and more of that particular service. And then eventually, you hardly ever come to church on Wednesday night. You're just too doggone busy. Just got too much going on. Well, what's going on? You're falling under the spell of money. It's taken over. Now, you need to examine yourself. It's taking over your life. Amen. Used to be involved in the ministry of helps or much more involved in the ministry of helps. And you've had to go to the, to the uh, director of department and say, you know, I'm right now these projects that I've got going at work, you know, I just can't make it. Or, or uh, you know, I've got, to, I've got to see after this or I've got to see after that. And, and uh, you know, I've just got to do it. You're going to have to take me out for a little while or cut back. What's going on? God honored his word in your life because he was first. He was number one in your life. Everything in your life was built around God and you trusted him and he began to bless you and now he's not getting as much of your attention and your devotion as he used to get. That's a good sign. You need to take, a, you need to take account of yourself. Amen. Well, what do you do? What do you do if you find yourself Deceived by riches. What do you do if you find yourself under this snare? You've fallen into many temptations and, and troubles and things that have snared you because you've, you've got your focus off of God, but you've gotten it and, and you've gotten it. You're still, you're still using God. Oh yeah, I'm still praying, you know, and believing God. I'm confessing every day as I go out. Yeah, but at the end of the day, your, your attention is more on the things than it is on God and you can see it because you've cut back. In these areas that used to be your heart, used to be your devotion, was God first. Not so much anymore. Well, go with me over to Revelation and look at chapter 2. This is a good, all-purpose passage. A good, all-purpose formula for, for correcting yourself when you fall into any area of error in your life. You can find a way out right here in, in Revelation chapter 2. In talking to the church at Ephesus, you know, uh, Jesus gave a message to the, to, the, to the pastor of the church. And uh, he said, write these things to, to the church of Ephesus. And, uh, and so he, he gave this information. And first of all, he praised the church. And, and actually, the, the message is directed to the angel of the church, which would be uh, the messenger or the pastor of the church. And uh, he begins to praise them first. He said, I know in verse two, your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have 
persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You you ought to underline that in your Bible. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, you know, if you just read, took that verse out of its setting and you'd say, well, that just... That just is a picture of a totally backslidden person. But notice, they had left their their first love and yet their works were still good, verse two. Their labor was still good. They were still patient. They still could not bear those who were evil. They had tested those who say they're apostles and were not and found them liars. They still are persevering. They still have patience. They still have labored for, for the Lord's sake and have not become weary. See, too often we we look at what we have going for ourselves and we don't look at the big picture. Yeah, I'm doing these things for God and I'm still involved here and and I still love God and I still have the testimony of a Christian and, and in my heart God is first, but your life reveals something else. He said you've left your first love. How did it show up? Well, I just enumerated some of the ways it shows up. Yeah, you still say you love God. In your heart, you think you're still you know, on track, but, but your lifestyle shows that you've compromised here and you've compromised there and you've compromised here and you've compromised there. What's going on? Love of money in the context that we're talking about this morning. Other things could, could, you could fall into this same category, but we're talking about how the love of money gets a hold of people. He said, you have, he, you, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, there's three words in this formula. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And number three, return. Let's read the verse. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Number two, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that, and so he went on and talked about some other things. So number one, remember. Number two, repent. Number three, do the first works. That would be return. And so we just put the word run, return on there because then that's three R's and that's real cute. It wouldn't be nearly as cute to say remember, repent, and then do the first works. It's cuter to say return, okay? But that's a three-point uh, uh, formula that you can apply in your life all the time. Remember from where you're falling. You need to take an honest accounting of yourself. We all need to take an honest accounting of ourselves on a regular basis. Not what we want to see, but what is really going on. And listen, what is going on is what your actions demonstrate. What your life demonstrates is what's going on regardless of whether you agree with it in your heart or not. I said your actions demonstrate what's really going on whether, you, whether your heart agrees with it or not. Your actions demonstrate what's going on. Take accounting. Take an accounting of yourself. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember how it was before your prosperity, in, in the context we're talking here. Remember how your heart was and where your devotion was and what was, life was like before you became prosperous. 
oh, well, I was broke and I was this. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your heart. Because there was something in your heart that you reached out to God and God honored your heart. He honored your faith. So what was it about you that made God honor you that way? That caused his word to prevail in your life? It was devotion. It was devotion to God. Well, amen. He said, uh, first of all, remember. Second, repent. What does that mean? Well, it means to stop the direction you're going in, turn around, and go the other direction. And I'm gonna tell you something else. There is a, this is, this is far off of my topic, so I'm just gonna tread real quickly lest I get drawn into this other subject. There is a modern day version of repentance that is not Bible repentance. There is a modern day version, very popular of, of the word repentance and the idea of repentance, and, and it is simply a change of mind. And, and what, the, what all the teachers that are teaching today say, the Greek word repent simply means to change your mind or to turn around. That's absolutely true. The Greek word simply means to have a change of mind, to turn and go in another direction. That's all it means. But you can't, you can't limit a Bible topic to a Greek definition. I said you cannot limit a Bible doctrine to a Greek tef- definition of a word. What does the Bible have to say about a change of mind and going a different direction? What does it look like? There are people today that say repentance is just to say, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna change my mind and I'm just gonna go in another direction. The picture of repentance in the Bible is something much deeper than that. It's something that causes godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance according to the New Testament. If you don't have time to get into it today, but some of you know where that's found. Second Corinthians, look it up. Paul talked about repentance that came from godly sorrow and that there's a sorrow of the world and it brings death, but there is, a, there is a sorrow after God's heart that causes you to return to him. True repentance will result in some tears. I said true repentance will result in some tears. I said true repentance will result in some tears. It'll result in some sorrow. It'll result in some abhorring what you've done and, and, and aghast at how far you've fallen and it makes you get on your face toward God and say, God, I'm sorry. It's not that you're begging God it, 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 because you know God's always there. But if you've truly repented, you, have, you feel the need to get right with God and you, and, you, and you turn your back and you then when you see from where you've fallen and you see the sin you've been involved in, you, turn, you don't just turn your back casually. Look, I'm just gonna go a different direction. No, you hate that sin. You despise that sin. And you say, oh God, help me, strengthen me. Don't ever let me fall into that again. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your help, Lord. Repentance causes you to draw close to God. I mean, get up so close to him that, you, that there, nothing can separate you. But that's not my topic. <laughs> Repent. Ask God to forgive you and to help you in the area of the love of money and the deception that's gotten a hold of you. And then number three, return to your first love. Return to your first love. Go back to putting God first in everything. 
What will it look like? It'll look like what it looked like when you were first doing it. Well, I was just a little overboard back then. I mean, I was just a little, you know, I don't think it's necessary to be that, you know, consumed with. I detect a lack of repentance. See, there is a washed out, watered down version of repentance in circulating in the church right now. And it is not scriptural. No. Remember from where you've fallen, truly repent and then do the first works. What do the first works look like? They look like the first works. It's exactly what they look like. They look like your heart and your, and your attitude and your devotion, what it caused you to do in the beginning that, that in the, in the time when God was blessing you so much, when he began to pour his goodness out upon you, what were you doing? You got to do that again. You got to do it again. Well, amen. Do the first works. Go back to putting God first in everything again. Amen. And uh, so those are the three R's. But I can tell you also when it comes to money, and you've heard me talk about this, and I'm not going to grow tired of it. You might grow tired of hearing it, but I'm not going to grow tired of saying it. Develop a heart of generosity. There's a reason for this. I'm going to show you why this is so important today. Develop a heart of generosity. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul was talking, I won't read the whole chapter, but he was talking to the Corinthians about an offering that they had pledged to send to the saints in Jerusalem who were struggling. Uh, There were were some things going on on in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, The Romans were increasingly becoming hostile uh, towards the nation of of Israel and beginning to really clamp down and uh, and so forth. And and the Jewish Christians were really suffering uh, in the area of of money and and resources. And so the Apostle Paul had uh, previously contacted the church at Corinth and the church at Corinth had made a promise that we're going to get an offering together. So what the apostle Paul said, it's time for you to do what you said you were going to do. Get this offering together and send it to the poor brethren of yours in Jerusalem. And he said in verse number 16, but thanks be to God who put the same earnest care. I'm in second Corinthians eight 16 for you into the heart of Titus for not only For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went with to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but he who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. Providing things, honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Notice, he said, we've sent these brethren to go with with me and these others to accompany uh, the transport of this gift that you're going to take up, this offering you're going to take up. Notice he called it a lavish gift. 
a lavish gift. That's no puny offering. What would be a lavish gift? A lavish gift was something would be something out of the box. I mean, just way over. Isn't that right? A lavish gift would be something that's beyond the ordinary. Something that, that people, when people found out what it was, they would go, wow. See, there's a, there's a spirit of generosity that the Apostle Paul is trying to get them to see. It needs to be a lavish gift. Why does God want... Uh, us to, to give lavishly because it helps us break any ties that money has in our life. There's something about generosity, being generous, that just anytime those little, those, the, your, the, the prosperity and the blessings, you know, begin to creep into your life and they want to begin to entangle you, there's something about just being doggone generous. Just being, just, just doing something lavish. It just strips that stuff off of you. You'll never be entangled with the love of money if you'll stay generous in your giving. What's what's the opposite of generous? Stingy. What is stingy? Just doing just enough to get by. Well, I think most people probably give this, so that's what I'm going to give. Stingy. A.K.A. stingy. there's no need to be, you know, crazy about this. I mean, this is a decent gift, a.k.a. stingy. Listen, it's, this is not about receiving an offering here. This is about learning how to stay free from the entanglement of money. You need to develop a, a, a heart and the actions that go along with that of generosity. He said they're lavish gift. And so we'll go on down. Uh, <clears throat> now, verse, chapter 9, verse 1, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you in the, to the Macedonians that Achaia, that was the Corinthians, were ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority of the others, that is. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your what? Generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as of grudging obligation. I'm telling you, there's something about generosity Why does God bless us in the ninth chapter? Verse number 11, while you are made rich in everything for all liberality or all generosity. Go with me over to Mark 10. I'm gonna show you something you haven't seen. Mark chapter 10. You remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus in verse number 17, Mark 10, 17, and said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. 
Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Notice Jesus was not trying to hurt him. Jesus loved him. Jesus was impressed with him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. That's pretty bad. That's pretty good if you only lack one thing. How would you like to stand before Jesus and him examine your life and say, one thing you lack? I'd think, oh man, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Only lack one thing. But as a prophet of God, he spoke directly to that man's situation. No one could have known this. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great, everybody say it, possessions. His possessions possessed him. He was possessed by his possessions. And Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. I don't think Jesus knew this because he was God incarnate in the flesh. I believe Jesus was operating as we know he was as a man anointed with the Holy Ghost with the mantle of the prophet upon him and by the spirit of God he identified directly what was in that man's heart and where his real issue was. He said there's one area there's one area that's tripping you up. He said you need to go your way sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, some people have thought that what Jesus was saying to him, he's saying to all of us, and that is that we have to sell everything we have and give it away. Well, that couldn't be what he was saying because in verse number 29, he said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, that would be real estate, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, again, that's real estate, for my name's sake, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, not in heaven, but in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So he's saying, if you give something up for the sake of the gospel, because God instructs you to, you're gonna get a hundred times back. Jesus if the man had realized that Jesus was setting him up to be far more prosperous than he had ever been, why did Jesus say, sell what you have and give it away? I'll tell you why. Sometimes the only way to break the power of things is to give them away. It's the only way to break the power of things sometimes is to give them away. Go back with me to Matthew the sixth chapter, and just hold your place there. We'll come to it in a minute. Sometimes the only way to break the power of things in your life is to just give them away. Let's, let me use an illustration. I, 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 chose, I thought about this. I chose this one when I was meditating on, on this because I don't think there's anybody that I know of in this congregation that does this. Let's say there's, there's, there's somebody here. You love... Antique automobiles. Now, I like antique automobiles, but I, not all of them. I particularly like 1950s, about mid-1950s up through early 70s. Those are the automobiles I like. I cannot go down the street 
unless I'm in a hurry to go somewhere. If there's a car show and there's a 57 Chevy or a 68 GTO or something, I'm going to get out and look at it. I'm, t- I'm going to pull over and go look. And I get all around. I look at them and I just dream about those days. I never owned one, but uh, I liked them. I like that stuff. But I know that I can't afford to buy something like that because I, listen, my, my, my all-time favorite car, if I could buy any car, would be a 65 Corvette Stingray. Baby blue, wire wheels, okay? But I know this, if I bought a 65 Corvette, I'm not gonna be satisfied with keeping that thing in the garage. I'm gonna drive that rascal. I'm gonna get out somewhere. I'm gonna go on a track or I'm gonna go somewhere. I'm gonna lay some rubber on the road. I'm going to... Well, it's one thing to buy it. Now you gotta keep it up. Number one, I'm not even a mechanic. I can't even keep it up. So I'm gonna have to hire somebody to keep... It's just better for me to leave it alone. But... Some people can afford to, to have, you know, antique automobiles. Well, if, you're, if, if that, for instance, if that would be your hobby and you like that, wonderful. Have one or two of them or as many as you can afford. And let, but let me drive it, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. What happens, though? Now you've got this, let's say you've got this 65 Corvette. You're going to want to put it in a show. You know you are. You're going to want to put it in the show because you want everybody else to come by and, and oogle or whatever you say. How do you say that? Oogle over your car just like you oogle over before you bought it. So you're going to want to put it in the show. Well, most of those shows are on the weekend. A lot of them go through the Sundays, most of them. You could, you'll start out, well, I'm not going to compromise. I'm just going to put it down there Saturday and, and I'll come back Sunday night and pick it up Sunday afternoon. Well, what if you win an award? Whoa, now your car won an award. Now you're no longer satisfied with the local car show. Now you want to go to the car show out of town. Next thing you know, you're going to want to be going across state lines with your car. I'm telling you, you're going to miss church. You're going to miss church. You're going to compromise. Well, pastor, are you saying it's wrong to miss church? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your things are taking a place in your life that Jesus used to have. Well, some, it, I used cars because I don't think anybody here collects cars, but what is your passion? And what is your, listen, God will allow you to have all kinds of hobbies and interests and things, but you need to be very careful that those things don't take a place that they shouldn't take, and sometimes they do. And I have discovered in my own life, sometimes the best way to get to, to break the power of those things, give it away. So if you have a 65 Corvette, I can handle it. <laughs> if you want to give it away. <laughs> what I'm saying is, that's why Jesus said, sell what you have and give it to the poor. Because right. he knew that would break the hold that thing had in his life. And that's what Jesus was after. Because he said, I'm going to give you a hundred times more. I'm going to give you a hundred of those things back. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. You found Matthew 6, verse 24. 
No one can serve two masters. It's not possible. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You're saying, I don't know how that can be. I like multiples of things. I like all kinds of things. He's talking about serving. He's talking about something being a master in your life. There can only be one master. And everything else has to be in, the, in as if you hate it compared to your master. I might, I might have a, a 65 Corvette, but it nothing compared to my wife. Now, she's not my master, but I'm just saying. <laughs> compared with my love for my wife, I despise that 65 Corvette. You see what I'm saying? In comparison with my love for my wife. When it comes to who's your master, you can, only, you can only have one. You can't have two. He said, no man can serve, that means you or me, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. That's why when money starts getting a hold of you, your lordship has shifted. When you start compromising the things of God to fund your prosperity, to maintain your prosperity, to keep up what God has started in your life and, and now this machine is running and you just, you just can't come to church. You just can't be involved. You just can't do all these things. and you, you just can't give like you used to give. You just can't. Switch of masters has taken place. Because you cannot serve God and things. You can't serve God and your stuff. Well, amen. Well, isn't this wonderful news? It is. It is. I tell you what, it's good news when you find out where you've missed it. The best day of your life is the day when you find out where you're doing it wrong. It may chafe a little bit. It may be uncomfortable. But if you realize, listen, I've, I've allowed some things to take place, a, a place in my life that it ought not think. That's a blessed day when you see that. Well, amen. What do you do? Remember, repent, return. Remember, repent, really repent and return to your first love. Do what you did before. Get things right with God. I can't keep, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do this. I, my, this, this, this prosperity or this, whatever it is, it's just, I can't do it. It's time to give something away. Give up some of your contacts. Give up some of your projects. Give them to somebody else. Yeah, but I'll lose all this money. What do you want? Do you want God like you used to have? Sometimes you have to cut some things off. I said, sometimes you have to cut some things off. Well, amen. It's good news and it'll liberate you. It'll liberate you. It'll get you back to where you're, you're just enjoying the presence of God again. It'll get you back to that place where nothing in life means anything just like, but like just being in his presence. Just being in his presence and enjoying his love and blessing in your life without being entangled with all kinds of things. Oh, you can get back to that place. You can get back to that place. If you've strayed from that place, you can get back. Amen. It's going to take some bold action. Remember, 
Repent, Return. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.